It's time for another episode of Dynasty Oasis podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Newts and Josh Adkins. Welcome to the Dynasty Oasis podcast, postseason edition. My name is Matthew Newts at Nasty Newts on Twitter. With me today, as always, Joshua Adkins at Dynasty Oasis. Happy Monday, Josh. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. Uh, uh, fun weekend of football. It's always a little bit anticlimactic at the end of the season where you're kind of uh, psyched to not have to, you know, sweat fantasy, but at the same time, uh, the games just aren't quite as exciting on, on Sunday when you don't have, uh, have chips riding on it. And so, uh, it was fun to just sit back and, and have, you know, seven hours of football, but, uh, always a bittersweet weekend, I would say. Indeed. I, I was kind of fiending for some action. So I threw some DFS lineups out there and I was reminded why I don't normally do that. (laughs) Uh, I had a few looking pretty peachy and then it just, uh, fell right outside the money in a few but uh yeah we're not dfs guys and i I just don't really love the format it's too i don't know i don't know why i don't like it it's just not for me well it's just it's not what i believe i'm particularly good at and why this is a dynasty show and not a redraft show is because uh sit start is not something that i i would say that is the top of my uh list of of specialties in 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 dynasty or in fantasy uh, you know, player value, trading, these are the types of things that I feel like I excel at. And so that's why I feel like DFS is kind of the last game that's appealing to me. Actually, you've been uh, playing, what's the website called again? Oh, yeah, Predict- Prediction Strike. Um, it's kind of fun. It's basically combined fantasy football with the stock market. Right. So you're, you're buying and selling players, trading. Um, well, not trading, but, you know, I, I bought uh, 10 shares of Alexander Madison Sunday morning. And his value went up like 40% after that game, and I immediately sold him. So you can, you know, kind of day trade, if you will, or you yeah. can buy, you know, guys that you th- just feel like are generally undervalued and hold. And, you know, like right now, after uh, Sunday, I sold all my shares and everyone except for Noah Fant and just bought a bunch of shares of Antonio Gibson because I feel like he's going to break <laughs> out next year. So he's sure. just kind of the guy that I'm going to hold throughout next year. Yeah, but that's just kind of that. That seems like it would more suit my uh, my uh, the way I like to play or look at fantasy football and dynasty, especially where you're kind of playing a stock market game. You're not uh, worried so much about the here and now and projecting volume, which I feel like is what DFS is a lot about. Um, like you said, we're not a DFS show, uh, but we are a dynasty show, and on today's uh, show, we're going to give you a game recaps from the games that. Uh, at least were somewhat meaningful this weekend. Anything from a dynasty pers- uh, perspective that we saw, um, and then uh, we're also going to do our performance review segment, which we had to cut from the end of uh, last week's show. Um, basically, the idea here is that uh, we, you know, trading is one of my favorite things in dynasty. I'm sure it's right up there for you, Newts. Uh, we make a lot of trades. Uh, some of them we get right, some of them we get wrong, and and we kind of wanted to go back and you know it was kind of fun going through my email history and and digging up some of these old trades and oh man I really paid that and oh man I got all this back. Uh, it was a lot of fun to kind of go through, but we're gonna break down some of these trades, the processes that went into them, um, and kind of try to give you uh, some some uh, advice at least as we can that we can take into the off season here. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I found it to be a much more fun exercise than I even anticipated when I pitched the idea. Just, mm-hmm. uh, And I also realized that some uh, league manager sites are easier to find your transaction history than others. But, uh, yeah, no, it was a blast, and 
um, definitely learned something from it. So hopefully, even though, like you mentioned last week, I think you guys certainly don't care about our teams, but I think it's something you can learn just from our thought processes going in and what we've learned and what we would do differently in the future. So I think that'll be fun. Um, yeah, this is not a place to take victory laps, uh, although uh, we're shameless enough to do that once or twice. But at the same time, this is that's you, you hit the nail on the head. This is about process, not necessarily the players involved. Um, but kind of how we think about dynasty teams and what our strategies are um, in the offseason and and maybe how they might change going forward. Um, with that, uh, we got wildcard action this weekend, six wildcard games, actually. So uh, three on Saturday, three on Sunday, kind of an interesting slate. Uh, is there one that you're more excited for than the rest now that we've seen the schedule? Yeah, initially I wasn't thrilled about adding playoff teams, but uh Having six uh, wildcard games kind of made me change my tune. I, I don't feel like it's as big of an accomplishment to make the playoffs now, but uh, we do have some fun games. Mostly what I'm looking forward to is on the AFC side. It seems like my top three games are all the AFC games, but yep. the game I, I'm most excited for is Baltimore-Tennessee. Uh, I just think it's got the best chance of being a compelling game and the most players uh, on both sides of the ball that are really interesting to me. So Baltimore-Tennessee is the one that I'm – certainly most typed for. Yeah, and that's a rematch of last year where Tennessee got the better of Baltimore and uh, kind of had their coming out party uh, in what looked like a year where Baltimore was almost unstoppable. Um, the, the matchup I'll go with is, is also an AFC one. It's Cleveland-Pittsburgh. I know these teams just played, but obviously we didn't see Roethlisberger. We didn't see T.J. Watt. Um, obviously the Steelers were not, you know, uh, it didn't look to me like they were trying to lose that game actively or anything like that. But when you, when you sit two of your best players like that, from a mindset standpoint, what's on the line, what the stakes are, um, obviously change. I'll be excited to see that game because I'm rooting for Cleveland. I know you've said Buffalo is kind of the team that you're getting behind. Um, I'm rooting for the Browns, uh, not so much out of any like, uh, love for any particular player. Although I'll talk about Nick Chubb pretty glowingly in a minute. Um, but just because that city and that team and that organization has been through so much, I'm just, I'm very excited to see them, uh, get as far as they've gotten so far. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Browns would be a fun team to see make a run. Um, and for the not so fun teams, we do have six jobs open right now. Black Monday in the NFL, a little mm -hmm. bit less eventful than past years. Uh, I don't think we need to dive deep into these situations on this show. Um, just worth noting, pay attention to which coaches go where. Some may be more important than others. I know you particularly don't think it's as big of a deal for fantasy, um, which coaches go where. But I think for me, the one thing I want to make sure is you don't get a weird hire that can kind of, you know, submarine what they had. Like if Adam Gase got an offensive coordinator job somewhere, <laughs> that might affect my rankings. But, you know, Eric Bieniemy going somewhere, it, it might help a little, but it's not going to make me like put someone 20, you know, spots up the board. Yeah, it's and and I think you 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 put it as I don't care. It's certainly not that I don't care or that I don't think it matters. It definitely does. I just think on the front end too often as dynasty managers or as redraft managers we think we get, we know what these coaches are going to do more so than we actually do. I think we're wrong more often on that than than we are on player evaluation and just talent evaluation. And so I always lean on that. Certainly it can be the feather in a player's cap, you know, a good coaching situation or a good offense that fits a player's skill set. Uh, but generally I'm trying to avoid that type of thing because I think um, a lot of the time it falls into that category of, of we don't really know that. You know, we talked about uh, potentially Urban Meyer taking the Jacksonville job. 
uh, ahead of the show, and you kind of talked about, you know, I don't quite remember how Ohio State ran their offense and Florida, et cetera. Um, even if you knew that, to presume that that's who he's going to be in the NFL, I think is where the the error in process exists, right? Even if we knew exactly yeah. how he run ran things in college, to then presume that that's exactly what he's going to do in Jacksonville, I think is a whole nother thing. And so that's what I mean, I guess, when I don't, when I say I, I don't care, I don't believe in it quite as much as I think the rest of the community does. Very fair. Um, this week for our game recaps, we didn't uh, go game by game and mention, you know, one or two things from each game. Cause you know, week 17, it's a weird week in the league. So we just kind of wanted to highlight certain players in each position group that we thought had a performance uh, worth talking about as far mm-hmm. as their dynasty values are concerned. Um, I mentioned Adam Gase. Why don't you start with uh, his quarterback that was kind of screwed by him this year, Sam Darnold? Yeah, we talked a little bit about this on the last show, and I was, uh, you know, I'm still, fer- frankly, firmly in the camp that Sam Darnold is a NFL competent quarterback, but um, I believe I had said that they're going to pass on the quarterback and. You know, this was not a good performance by Sam, so I don't know that that's necessarily now why they're going to pass, but Justin Fields went out and put together, um, you know, that absolute monster tape that he needed to put out there for for NFL scouts. I have a a hard time believing that they're going to pass on him at two, um, you know, in favor of Sam Darnold. So um, he didn't do enough here. He, He made two really bad interceptions in the second half, played pretty well in the first. Um, but I think he, you know, obviously the coach lost his job. I think he kind of did too here and uh, I'll be looking forward to the next spot for Sam Darnold. Yeah. We're pretty much uh, in agreement on him, um, for all aspects of his value. So certainly something we're going to want to monitor this off season. I had the dolphins game and, um, I I texted you yesterday that we Mm kind of had to have a to a conversation. I don't know if you're quite as concerned as I am, but I've, I've been kind of biting my tongue watching his film the last four or five weeks, ever since he kind of took over maybe even longer than five weeks now for mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick. It just, I, nothing's bouncing off the tape for me. And I don't want to be too critical, too harsh on a rookie quarterback. There's been plenty of, you know, hall of fame quarterbacks that looked pretty crappy their rookie year, yep. but there's usually something you can see on film that it's like, okay, the numbers aren't good, but he has this, he has this, he has that. He can get better here. Even Josh Allen, I, he was pretty bad as a rookie and not great as a second year player either, but you saw the arm talent um, and you saw where he could improve with Tua. I just, I, I, I don't want to, you know, have a super flaming hot take here, but I just don't see any of the intangibles other than we know he's a good kid. We know he's, you know, a good competitor. But when you look at his arm strength, I just don't think it's NFL starting quarterback caliber arm strength. And he's it's not like he's pinpoint accurate with a kind of a noodle arm either. I just don't think he's putting the ball in the right spots more often than not either. So my level of concern is actually pretty high. Yeah, no, I think you made a lot of good points there. Um, you know, when it comes to Tua, first off, you know, I was pretty far off in terms of the pre-draft analysis of him. I, I You know, obviously you take him much lower than you would have otherwise. Um, but, you know, I think to some degree with young quarterbacks, you have to evaluate them off of their good throws, their good plays. And you're not mm-hmm. seeing enough of that from Tua. And while, you know, sticking with that take for too long can potentially lead you to overvaluing a guy like Dan Jones or Mitchell Trubisky, who we have seen these flash throws from, 
Right. At a certain point, you have to see that. And Tua has shown us almost none of those flashpoint moments this year. We're really basically evaluating him on the idea that um, he didn't have a lot of bad tape up to this point. You kind of could blame it on his wide receivers and the offensive line and the lack of weapons. Um, this is now two or three games where he's made some really suspect decisions. Um, so, you know, I'm with you. I, I think the Teddy Bridgewater comp is is a fair one. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. They're now at the 103. Houston was the third worst team in the NFL. So they, they are in the top three of this draft. If, let's say, the Jets were to pass on fields, or let's say the Jets do take fields, um, are you advocating that they go spend on quarterback here, or, or do they have to stick with Tua? I'm not advocating that they need to at all costs, but let's be realistic. This pick that they have now was just a straight-up gift from mm-hmm. Bill O'Brien. This is found money. This is not like it was their own pick where they have to do the Arizona thing where they give up on Josh Rosen after a year, but it's kind of a similar thought experiment. Arizona knew they had enough inside information after one year of Josh Rosen that, yeah, yep. this isn't the guy we can still recoup some of the value that we invested in. We got the one one Kyler Murray's there. We feel like he's the right guy for a franchise going forward. A big mistake a lot of teams make is they don't, they're not willing to admit when they're wrong, when they know they're wrong, just because they have the, the draft capital invested into a mm-hmm. guy. If Take they off. feel yep. like Tua's not the guy for them long-term, they have this opportunity to get, you know, whatever quarterback you love near the top I don't think they can afford to pass on that if that's their internal evaluation. If it were me, I would strongly consider, I would absolutely take Fields if he was there, but I would even consider Wilson or if you really loved Lance. I haven't done enough work on him yet, but yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. And this is going to be a big talker for a lot of people this offseason. Yeah, well, and and scary for super flex managers. And I, I, I think it's low odds still, I'll be honest with you. Um, I do think they'd have to get something in a trade to to make the pick work out long term. I don't think you can have both of them there. Um, but it's at least, you know, a 10, 15 percent chance. And I think that has to be factored into the uh, the dynasty or superflex value of Tua Tagovailoa. Um, that was a long time on Tua. I can go a little quicker here on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I don't think you need me to tell you he's he's really dang good. 240 yards, four touchdowns here really should have been five. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantley had his uh, weekly touchdown drop, but also did catch one on a really the throw of the weekend, in my opinion, in the games that I saw at least. Uh, basically, a seam route against cover two where MVS just runs down the seam and the ball is just perfectly placed on a line. Um, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Um, and, you know, while Marquez Valdez Scantling's kind of putting up numbers that are indicative of what I'm going to say next, you, you don't feel confident enough to ever start him. So, um, This Packers organization has shown us they're not going to take a wide receiver in the first round. But this situation, you know, unfortunately, as much as we try to take that out, this does have the chance to move up one of these more second and third tier wide receivers from this rookie class. um, Because I think in the second or third round, they will take one. So that's kind of like Tylan Wallace, Chris Olave, who looked amazing as well uh, on Friday night against uh, Clemson. Kadarius Tony's a guy that's that's uh, an interesting player, kind of could be that Randall Cobb type guy. Um, I don't think they take one high. They're not going to get Bateman or Waddle or one of these guys, but they're going to take somebody, and I'm going to be, be very interested because Aaron Rodgers is just, I mean, he's as good as it gets. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of interesting discussions if they do take one of those guys you mentioned. Like, yeah. how high do we elevate them, even though we like the talent of a Waddle more? Like, is the situation just that juicy where we have to – 
um, adjust our ranks accordingly. It's, and that's going to kind of fight against our instincts of talent Trump situation. Right. But some situations you can't ignore. So that will be fascinating to see what happens there. Yep, I'm going to still have to like the player because some of the guys in Green Bay right now uh, were prospects that I didn't like. And so I didn't take the bait on them. Um, they've worked out to varying amounts of success, obviously. Uh, but yeah, if they get a guy that I like, I just kind of listed a few names. Uh, um, yeah, I'll be very interested uh, in this Packers second wide receiver. Uh, you wanted to talk about former lawyer and changed his LinkedIn profile this week, John Wolford, <laughs> to quarterback of the uh, uh, Rams. What'd you see? Yeah, nothing major. Uh, I'm not telling you to go out and go crazy and acquire him, but I just thought he was kind of an interesting super flex stash. It's uh, more of the athleticism I saw. He looked like a decent runner. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if the opportunity will ever arise, but if it does, I think he's could be you know a semi-competent fantasy quarterback. This is only for super flex leagues. If you got a deep enough roster, um, maybe just stash him because this is more me just not liking Jared Goff and thinking Walford could be a sneaky little fantasy play given opportunity. So nothing crazy. I just thought he looked competent. And it'd be fun to see a guy from the AF come out and uh, have do good things in the NFL. Um, I'll talk about another L.A. quarterback. It's Justin Herbert. He pretty much locked up rookie of the year here. Um, played against a second team Kansas City defense. No Chris Jones, no Ty Matthew. Um, certainly you have to factor that in here, but 22 for 31, 300 yards again, four total touchdowns. Um, there's really nothing I can say this week that I, we haven't already said. Um, I guess the one thing I will say is, is they were giving him a lot of time in this game. There was a couple times where I felt like he was a little bit indecisive. Um, but he's such a good player. Um, a guy that, you know, I'm glad we didn't have a show in the off season because I'd have been dead wrong on this kid. And, and, uh, I'll take the heat, even Same. though I probably don't have to. So, uh, Justin Herbert rookie of the year, even as much as we love Justin Jefferson. Yeah. He was one of the more polarizing quarterback prospects in recent memory. And we were both on the wrong side of it, but, uh, the best thing we can do is admit as quickly as possible when we were wrong. And I think mm -hmm. we both realized pretty darn quick that we were wrong on Herbert. So, uh, good on us, I guess, to, to adjust, even though it kind of probably hurt our fantasy teams by not having them <laughs> in more places. But yeah, uh, the game I, I had the Carolina game and, uh, I think the quarterback situation here is going to be a big talker this offseason, too. Teddy was awful. He got benched. P.J. Walker comes in, was even awful-er. Um, I think they locked up the ninth overall pick. This could be Trey Lance range. I think maybe they move up, and if Zach Wilson falls a few spots, maybe they try and get him. But mm -hmm. this is a really juicy spot for a quarterback. Uh, Curtis Samuel had a great game. DJ Moore had a good game. This is a really enticing spot. Maybe they go after a veteran that was cast off or something like even Darnold could go here. That'd be mm -hmm. interesting but, uh, spot to watch this quarterback spot in the offseason. It's going to be a place that I'm going to want to target whoever it ends up being. Yeah, and on that Carolina game, uh, Sky Yuma, Rodney Smith scores his first touchdown. I think that's a great yeah, way to uh, transition into the running back position. Uh, you know, it felt like every time we sort of we just kind of just went back and forth and picked these games off. Uh, I got a lot of the big running back week, so I'm going to talk for a little bit here. Uh, the first two guys I want to talk about are, are kind of similar in, in both style and, and my thought process on them right now. Uh, Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry. Uh, Chubb goes 14 for 108 and a touchdown, the 47-yard uh, run, breaking the tackle of Minka Fitzpatrick and, and outrunning everybody. Uh, was about as good of a run as you've seen all, all year. 
Um, there's legitimately an 1,800 yard and 18 touchdown type league winning season inside of Nick Chubb. I really believe that. Um, and, you know, that's what Derrick Henry has essentially done for you the last two years. Uh, another 2,000 yard rushing campaign this year, or not another, but uh, 2,000 yards this year. He was the rushing champ again, um, 34 for 250 and two. He was absolutely unstoppable here. Um, I guess what I'd like to say is, I, you know, to tie the two of them together, uh, two off seasons ago, I traded Derrick Henry and Tyler Lockett for Nick Chubb. Um, and while on a talent standpoint, I still sort of stand by the, the process, you know, at this point, uh, trading Derrick Henry when everybody was first advocating for it, obviously, has turned out to be a bad decision. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll step in it here again, but off of a historic season like this, 2,000 yards doesn't come around very often. Eight I feel times, like can, I think. Eight times, yeah. So very, very infrequently. And I also heard a stat on uh, back-to-back rushing champions. Every single one of them's in the Hall of Fame. So I, I, I hope I'm saying good things here about Derrick Henry. He's a phenomenal player. Um, but off of this historic season, you can basically name your price on him. Um, it could be one year too early, but at some point this can't continue. There's a reason there's not guys who have done it four years in a row. Uh, it's because it's really hard to do. And, and you know, with Derrick Henry's build and his workload, um, just I think the time is now despite how good he's been. Yeah, I think we agree uh, pretty wholeheartedly on that advice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been in the camp. I'd rather be a year earlier than a year late. The mistake mm-hmm. is just trying not to be two or three years too early, but <laughs> finding that right cell window is not always as uh, cut and dry as we make it out to be. It would be real tempting to hold on to him for another year, just yeah. based off of him probably winning you the league, but don't get too attached in dynasty. You got to try and hit the right windows. So I think we're right on the money that this is the time to sell. Um, hopefully we're not leading you astray, but you're going to, like you said, even if it's a year too early, you're still going to get a crap ton for him. So oh, gosh, yeah, I, I would sell for sure. Um, next back, uh, Josh Jacobs, a little bit of breaking news, got into some trouble last night after the game, got himself a DUI. So I hate to see that. That's bad news. Uh, just worth mentioning. Cause he might be under a suspension to start next year. Um, I believe players with DUIs commonly get two, four game suspension, something along those lines. So that's worth notice or paying attention to uh, it. It'll affect his value. Some he was a sell for me anyways, but he did have a good game to close the year. So maybe you can sell off of that. Yeah. I think there's going to be people looking to capitalize on this as like a low value point. Um, it's just really bad news all around. Cause I'm with you. I was a seller. So um, a guy that I think we've, a lot of people have said is a sell Aaron Jones, uh, he went right back to the starter here. Uh, you know, I think it's a true 50-50 this offseason in terms of whether or not he gets out of Green Bay. Um, and I think it's interesting to note here in this Green Bay game, uh, Jamal Williams was the second man in. A.J. Dillon only got one touch. Um, I'm not saying that necessarily means anything, but I'm just more uh, highlighting it because I don't think last week was some uh, big changing of the guard in terms of Green, Bay, Green Bay's plans this year. Um, I think it's still Aaron Jones first and foremost. And, you know, if he's banged up, maybe then uh, A.J. Dillon jumps in front of Jamal Williams. But Jamal was the two here uh, and uh, Jones looked quite good. So I'm uh, starting to think, I don't know, I think he's undervalued no matter where he goes is ultimately what I think I'm, I'm leaning towards. Uh, if he stays in Green Bay, obviously that's awesome. But I think he's a really good running back. and We'll find a, a cushy spot someplace else. Indeed. Uh 
I had the Bucks, so R- Ronald Jones. I thought he looked really good. Um, he's uh, becoming more of a buy for me. I've always been kind of indifferent on him, but he's uh, impressed me quite a bit on tape as of late. I know the Stone Hands are kind of a concern to me, so he's he's more of a standard league buy. But I, I think I might try and add him to a few squads this offseason. Absolutely, and then the uh, two rookie running backs, and I'm sure everybody wants to hear about Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins were both games I had. Uh, they were both absolutely excellent here. You know, I talked, I believe it was last week, if it wasn't two shows ago, um, that uh, I had moved all of these rookie running backs up a tier. Um, Jonathan Taylor on this performance actually jumped up two tiers into basically my second tier of running backs, my second tier of players overall. Um, he was an absolute force here. 30 carries, 253 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, broke pretty much every first tackle he got to. was just constantly knifing through the the Jags defense and boy for for a big boy he uh he sure showed some nice moves on the shake on uh Joe Schobert for the second touchdown he's uh he's closing in on that top tier frankly uh more so than he is uh looking like he might fall back down in my rankings um and then Dobbins the second touchdown was absolutely incredible I you know I was actually a little bit surprised in the breakaway speed um he outran a couple guys uh to the pylon there and um, looked like he was, you know, good enough to, to, to break some big plays going forward. I don't think that's necessarily a fluke. Um, with the ascension of these these running backs, I feel like running backs becoming a fade for me again in startup season. Uh, I know that's right around the corner here. Um, that second and third tier of running backs with these rookies from this year, Miles um, Sanders, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, some of the guys from previous years, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, that second tier feels almost as appealing to me as that top four of Barkley, Kamara, CM, or uh, um, uh, I'm forgetting the other two names off the top of my head. But um, it, it seems like I can fade running back and maybe take a reach at the top tight end or the top wide receiver that I like at the top of my drafts here um, this year. Right on. Uh, on to our wide receivers. Uh the guy that uh, probably going to be runner up for rookie of the year, Justin Jefferson, finishes with a uh, even fourteen hundred yards on the season, t- or sets the rookie uh, receiving record in the Super Bowl era. I think someone in the nineteen twenties had more yards, <laughs> but nobody cares about that. So, just a fantastic season. I, um, God, I wish I had him on more teams. Yeah, no kidding, and it's it's amazing to think that he basically didn't play the first two games of the season. Um, you know, is he your dynasty wide receiver one? I think that's the first conversation that we should sort of have on Jefferson. Yeah, I haven't updated my ranks in a few weeks, but I've been having this internal debate the last mm-hmm. uh, day or so. He might have to be. It's it's going to be really close. If he's not wide receiver one, he's in tier one, and it's going to be, you know, picking hairs or splitting hairs is the right expression. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who's picking hairs, but yeah, we'll hairs, be splitting yeah. hairs, at, but he's certainly in the conversation. Yeah, and then sort of the other thing I was sort of thinking about this week is, uh, you know, with how spectacular he's been, A, what does this say about the LSU wide receivers? You know, for sure, Jamar Chase, who we thought was better um, as a prospect last season, um, and Terrence Marshall, who I think we sort of all kind of had in a similar tier. Uh, what does it say about those players? And then also just kind of he was the 108, 109, sometimes going behind Ragger and for sure behind uh, the top two, CD and Judy. Um, is there anything in terms of his breakout and his ascension that we can take forward to upcoming draft classes and process? I don't love comparing guys to other guys from the same school at the same position. It's not really 
something that I like, but for this, I think it's a little more apt, but like I, you're going to hear a lot of people compare Justin Fields to Dwayne Haskins. And I think that kind of thing's <laughs> super lazy, but yeah. Jefferson and chase were teammates. They were compared a lot when they were with Joe Burrow. Um, I, I think that's more reasonable than the Marshall thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I always love chase. If anything, yeah, maybe it makes me put him at wide receiver one in the rookie class, uh, over Devonta Smith. It's those two are going to be an interesting discussion, but yeah, I think maybe it means a little bit, but not a ton for me. Well, and yeah, and it certainly means you can hit late in draft classes. So don't give those late first round picks up. Um, certainly there's a guy who, you know, could be the wide receiver for this year coming out as a rookie, um, and very quickly ascends to the wide receiver one from his class and, and the wide receiver one overall in dynasty. It is possible, um, really focused regardless of if you're top five or, top 12 or even in the second, third round, there's money to be made at all these picks. And, and Jefferson's a great example of that. I'll switch it over to an, another NFC uh, North wide receiver, Darnell Mooney. Uh, another fantastic game here, 11 catches, 93 yards. Uh, he's really fun to watch. He can really bend at the top of routes. Uh, you know, he, I think he ran 4-3-4 four, four at the combine. So speed was never really a question. But in, in adjusting my dynasty ranks, which I did do this weekend, um, I've moved him into my top 50 uh, wide receivers and my top 100 overall. Um, I think it's going to be hard for him to jump to that next tier uh, without A-Rob moving on. But I think there's guys even in his tiers. Uh, Devontae Parker, I believe, was a guy right there. Curtis Samuel, um, Corey Davis, uh, that I could very easily see him jumping uh, this offseason. I think he's a heck of a player, and, and the Bears got a good one uh, in Darnell Mooney. Yeah, we both like Mooney. Uh, I had the Bucks again, like I mentioned with Rojo, but Chris Godwin, I thought, had his best game of the season, at least from what I watched. Uh, he had uh, five grabs for a buck 32 and two. Could have easily had a third touchdown. Well, shouldn't have said easily. He made a really great catch, just didn't get both feet yeah, I in. Saw that. Uh, it yep. was close. But uh, I said, I think last episode, that he was my NFC self buy, and he's still a buy for me. It just might be a little bit tougher off of this finish if he keeps it going in the playoffs, too. I think he's finally healthy, and um, it's going to be really interesting to see if he sticks in Tampa, if he goes somewhere else. But either way, I think I'm going to be adding him to some of my teams if possible. Yeah, scary injury there for Evans uh, in that game. It sounds like Arian said he avoided any major injury, but boy, he tried three or four different times to get up and could not. Yeah, yeah, uh, I thought his uh, season was over same. and maybe part of next year, but hopefully that's not the case. Yep. Uh, On to the Pittsburgh wide receivers. Really, all three here had solid games with Mason Rudolph in at quarterback. Uh, Claypool draws the most targets. He catches five of them for 101 and a touchdown. Uh, Deontay has uh, a sort of a strange stat line for him, three for 96. Uh, typically, he's much more the eight for 75 type of thing. Uh, but a couple explosive plays, a couple really nice over-the-shoulder catches here, encouraging to see. Um, and Juju basically gives you what he's given you all year, 65 yards, a touchdown, and a you know handful of catches. So uh, pretty much business as usual there with Pittsburgh. But uh, um, all three, I think, are really good players, and I'm buying the talent in the offseason. Indeed. I had the Giants. Uh, Sterling Shepard was kind of the story in this game. He had a really strong game. He had uh, 136 combined yards with uh, one receiving and one rushing touchdown. But mm -hmm. I've never been like a huge believer in him or Daniel Jones. So if you roster Shepard, I think maybe off of this strong close of the year, it'd be a good time to try and sell for a decent value. 
Yep, absolutely. Uh, I had the Titans game. A.J. Brown and Corey Davis both draw 11 targets here. Uh, A.J. Brown, though, is far more efficient. Uh, 10 for 151 and a touchdown. Uh, Davis had a lot of drops here. He could have had a really big game. Two of them um, were long plays, and one of them was a touchdown. Um, But Brown was absolutely sensational. He had the game-winning long reception to set up the Sloman field goal, which he actually had to bank in off the uprights. But uh, it went in. That's all that mattered. They won the game. Uh, it made AJ made multiple tough catches over the middle. And I think it's important to note, he is continuing to play hurt. Um, there was at least two, two different occasions where it took him a long time to get up. Um, and he's just a tank. He just keeps coming back out there and, and playing hard and, um, easily one of my favorite players in the league to root for. Completely agree. AJ Brown's high up my list of favorite uh, fantasy players in this league. Uh, another guy that I was over the moon for preseason, Jerry Judy, has a huge box score. A uh, little bit of caution in looking at that score, though, because uh, 92 of those yards and the touchdown were one big play. He was wide open. I don't know if it was necessarily blown coverage, but he ran a good route to get open. I'd like to see it on the all 22 just to see Mm -hmm. where he got the separation, but he looked really darn fast on the play. So an encouraging week 17 for him, but uh, people may tell you to sell off of that off of a disappointing rookie year. I'm still holding Judy. I'm still buying Judy. I still believe in his future. I think the drops will go away. I think he's going to be an outstanding player. It's just unfortunate. His rookie year wasn't a little bit more dynamic. Yeah, I know. Leave it to Jerry Judy and Drew Locke until the last, like, you know, 10 minutes of the game to spoil what was the best buy in fantasy football all offseason. Uh, Jerry Judy's awesome. I think you sh- you can still go buy him for a reasonable price. Uh, LaVisca Chenault's a guy you may not be able to buy for a reasonable price. He had six for 68 and two touchdowns here. Obviously, they're getting Trevor Lawrence and probably a new, well, not probably, definitely a new coach is going to come in. Um, LaVisca's second touchdown catch was a really nice route and a strong hands catch. Um, He kind of left this game, was in and out with injury, but uh, he continues to show uh, that he has true upside and, and, you know, is a playmaker. I still see him more as a number two as opposed to a number one, um, which is why I've got uh, DJ Chark still over him in my ranks. But it's it's getting closer than ever um, in in terms of the two of them compared Uh, tight ends. I had the only two tight end notes here, so I'll just breeze through these real quick. Um, Chris Herndon uh, in that Jets game that I mentioned earlier. Has seven for 63 and a touchdown. Uh, was heavily targeted again this game. Uh, we've chased him in, in previous off seasons, and I think I'm going to avoid this this year. Uh, certainly when you watch a game like this, you understand what got us all uh, very excited on the front end. But, uh, you know, I think at this point, if somebody will give you something for him, if you're still rostering him, uh, you can be encouraged if you want, but I don't think it's going to happen for Chris Herndon, despite a good performance here. Um, and Cole Komet fumbles and, and low efficiency, seven catches for only 41 yards. Um, but man, he, when you watch him, he is an absolutely imposing player. He's going to be a year two breakout candidate. Um, and off the slow start he had where Jimmy Graham was getting all the reps, just kind of a, a general reminder that tight end takes some time. Uh, don't move off them too soon. Agree. I love Cole Komet as a prospect as well. I had the only coaching note. We don't. <laughs> we weren't planning on this, but I thought Cliff Kingsbury's seat should have been a little hotter today based on one of the dumbest play calls I've seen all season. Third and 18, Kyler Murray 
has missed a good portion of this game with an ankle injury. They're down 18 to seven in a must win game to make the playoffs. And his play call is a speed option to the left on the short side of the field. Just inexcusably stupid play call. Even with a fully healthy Kyler Murray, I think that's a a bad play call. But when your franchise is already hobbled, to design a running play for him for him with that much yardage to go. I just thought was insane. Yeah. I saw that play and I, I was as confused as you were. What are they thinking on this one? Because why did, I mean, Kyler looked okay when he came back in, do you have any explanation as to why he sat for as long as he did? Were were the trainers keeping him out? Was, was, what was going on there? Read anything that was reported. I, I didn't dive into their beat, but I maybe they just needed some time for a quarter zone shot to kick in or something along those lines. But yeah, he was zipping the ball. He didn't look like he was favoring it too much, but yeah, it was just kind of strange the way that game was managed and uh, obviously a must win spot and their season ended. They couldn't beat a backup quarterback. Well, we all make strange decisions every now and again, which kind of leads well into our next segment uh, performance review here. Um, the way we had set this up is we're going to go through a list. We've got, we well, you've got six, I've got five trades that we went, you know, that went down in the last off season. Um, and we're just going to kind of work through them from the bottom to the top. And actually the last two on your list, I believe, uh, yes, I, uh, are trades that we made together. So we're going to kind of talk those through, um, not necessarily who got the better, who got the worst, but where we were in terms of process and how did the process play out? So, um, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I think the way we're going to do this is you start us off with your number six. Yeah, and I had I learned from this process that I had a really good year trading in every one of my leagues except for one. <laughs> Our most important league, I had a really bad year with the trades, but I think I did pretty well in most of my leagues. This was probably my most boring trade. I just threw it in there because I thought it was kind of interesting because we don't have a ton of super flex talk because we're kind of new to that format a little bit. But mm-hmm. I, I took over an orphan team. I This team had James Connors. The only reason I had him on my roster is because someone else drafted him. But I didn't want him. I got Jimmy G for him. Um, this was before Jimmy's injury, but uh, I inherited a super flex team whose only quarterback was Tom Brady at the time. Uh, so I needed quarterback help for the future. Jimmy G's not great, but for James Conner, I thought it was a win. Um, and obviously in that situation, I needed quarterback help. So I think it was actually a pretty good trade despite before, both guys kind of being a bust. Before we leave this trade, is Jimmy the starter in San Francisco next year? And if he's not, is he a starter someplace else? Maybe back in New England, some, somewhere else? I feel like he will at least have an opportunity to win a job. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not certain it's San Francisco based on where they're going to be in the draft, kind of in the middle. I don't expect them to get an immediate impact rookie. Maybe some crazy trade happens, but I think it's likely he's back as their starting quarterback next year. Yeah, well, then I think you'll get paid off for that because, I, you know, it's really hard to find quarterback and super flex. So I know I know you texted me at the time. Should I do this? And I, I said smash accept. So um, from a process standpoint, when you're trading a running back, especially a running back like James Conner, who's not super insulated with high end production, I think usually I'm going to fall on the side of the quarterback. It's a shame. Uh, it didn't work out quite uh, the way we had both hoped it would. Um, I've talked all season about trading David Montgomery and how, how you should be uh, looking to try to get out for a first. Well, I took my own advice and I traded David Montgomery in a 2021 third for Jamal Williams and what ended up being the 111. Um, and I remember being a little bit braggadocious on the show at the time when I made this deal. And actually for a couple of weeks, Jamal Williams was the more productive running back. So I 
I really thought I had fleeced somebody. But, um, you know, when I look back at this deal now, um, if this was absolutely the best deal I could get for David Montgomery, and I think I'm pretty low on David Montgomery, even relative to the consensus, which I think has figured out kind of who he is, um, it's definitely not the best deal you could get today. You can get a lot more than this. I think uh, looking into the top five of this upcoming draft may even be attainable. Um, you know, and I think the offer that I would probably make to try to give you some wiggle room is target a top five pick for David Montgomery and ask for a third round pick back, knowing full well that in order to kind of, you know, sort of trick them, if you will, into thinking they're getting a value win in sort of some negotiations, you can actually flip that third or even up to a late second, I would think, to the other side. I'd give, a, you know, a the 304 and David Montgomery for a top five pick pretty easily right now. Um, so in terms of the process, I guess I don't think the process is way off here, um, but I should have probably been more diligent in looking at David Montgomery's schedule because that was certainly out there when I traded him. And, and uh, boy, he, he really ate down the stretch and, and kind of lost me some value here. Yeah, not being privy to the other guy's roster, but you got pick 111, assuming that was his original pick. Looks like uh, David Montgomery helped him get into the championship game. Yeah. Um, and he may just want to flip him now and win both trades because it got <laughs> him paid and he could maybe make a profit off of that. So, yeah, and I still like the trade for you, though. I would have done the same thing. So hard to fault you. Just kind of bad luck, I would say. Yep, to some degree. But at the same time, this is sort of my blind spot. I, I'm, I'm apt to get out just a little bit before, right before the big value bump. Did it with Derrick Henry. Did it kind of here with David Montgomery? I talked about the Henry one later in the show. Uh, why don't you give us your number five trade? Yeah, it came from the same league as my number six. This orphan that I took over, I, I inherited going into week two. Um, it wasn't a good roster, but it did have J.K. Dobbins, who I at the time wasn't like super over the moon for. I, I certainly like him more now, but I still feel like this trade was a win for me. I traded Dobbins and Ingram and Jarvis Landry. Um, okay. I got two um, upcoming first-round picks. They ended up being 106 and 112. I got Jalen Hurts. This was the Superflex League as yeah. well. So that ended up kind of paying off a little bit earlier than we expected. And I got Corey Davis before he kind of reemerged as an interesting dynasty guy. So um, even though I lost Dobbins, who's probably the best asset in this trade, but in Superflex, maybe him and Hurts is a – conversation i still feel really darn good about this trade and getting you know two first round picks in this upcoming draft i'll have 101 106 and 112 i can really turn this team around in a hurry so i feel great about this trade i, I liked it at the time i like it even more now yeah i like this trade a lot i think you know you, you said it dobbins is probably the most valuable even in Superflex. i think i would take him just slightly over over jalen hurts um i think the hard thing here is you got more than enough value but now in a weaker running back class, you I don't know what your running back situation on That's this team. That's definitely the weakest part of my team. Okay. And so at 106 and 112, how are you going to be able to sort of supplement what you lost in J.K. Dobbins? I think you won in terms of a value standpoint. Um, the hard part here is that 106 and 112 to me this year doesn't scream top 20 RB. Um, and that's sort of the difficulty we're all facing here in this, in yeah, this upcoming I'm gonna, class. I'm going to have to take Trevor Lawrence 101. I'd be foolish not to. So I'm yep. just hoping that maybe an Etienne or Najee Harris falls to 106. I really need something like that to happen. Yep. Nope. That's a good one. Uh, my number four is uh, our league of record, our contract league. 
Um, I would say most people at the time would have seen this as a value loss. And I, you know, I sort of kind of think it was at the time and probably still is, frankly. Uh, but basically the deal was Stefan Diggs um, on a one-year contract on the last year of his deal. And by the way, we are going to do some Evergreen Contract League uh, episodes where we're, we're talking contract strategy. I know that's a, a growing format out there. We're, we obviously play in one that's a home league. Um, but I do know there's websites that are doing it now. So something to look forward in the offseason. We'll have some contract specific stuff for you. Um, but it really just digs didn't fit the contracts that I had on my team at the time. Uh, I had just signed both Chris Godwin and Juju Smith-Schuster um, really for probably for right or wrong, but probably on the wrong side. I did that. But um, ultimately, I couldn't afford digs long term. So I looked to move him. Um, I feel like the deal worked out at the at the end of the day because I actually ended up giving up the 210 uh, as well to get up to the 201, which ended up being Brandon Ayuk. I think this trade to some degree worked well for both teams. In fact, uh, Stefan Diggs quite literally won this league, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago with Alan Chung and the Monday Night Miracle uh, with Diggs going off. And I'm sure he won a lot of people leagues. Um, so I think, you know, one of these trades that, and this is something that you should be looking to accomplish in your trades, it helped both teams out in this instance. And that's, that's, uh, really when I look back at trades, I like seeing that type of thing. Yeah. Stefan Diggs likes to be involved in win-win trades. So if you're getting rid of Diggs, you got to feel pretty good that you're going to get a win on the other side. Just ask the Vikings with Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I understood this trade the way you made it at the time and it's hard to, give dynasty advice with uh, contract league trades, but the process can be very similar, but there are situations in contract leagues where a guy's value just isn't the same as it would right. be in a dynasty league because you have to pay them a certain percentage of your salary cap. Mm -hmm. You got to account for all that stuff as well. So that certainly you wouldn't have made this trade in a standard dynasty, no. but I completely understand why you did in this league. Uh, my next trade came from another orphan team that I took over after the regular season ended. This league has no trade deadline. Um, I had Derrick Henry on this team, but I was not a playoff team. So the, the remaining playoff teams were salivating for Henry. I was <laughs> able to flip him and Allen Robinson for Christian McCaffrey and the 107. Um, like I said, I had no real need for Henry at the time. This is kind of a wash as far as future value with McCaffrey and Henry. I like McCaffrey a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so it's more or less Allen Robinson for the 107. Um, I'm not sure if I won this trade or not, but it's just kind of, kind of a personal preference trade for me, I think. And is this super flex? Because if it, if, if it is, I think you did win this trade, frankly. Yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, you're nodding in, in my screen, but coughing at the same time. So I'll just move on to my number three. Um, this was a trade to me that um, worked out well, but I think was probably from a process standpoint, a bad trade. Um, ultimately, I said Jarvis Landry, the 204 and a 2023rd uh, for the eventual 102 Jalen Hurd and Justice Hill. Um, and in this league, I felt like we had fallen behind from a depth standpoint. And Jarvis was uh, kind of more of a guy that I saw as that depth piece and not as a starter, which is what he had to be for us. Um, so part of this was trying to, you know, lengthen out the team a little bit. But par partially this was fading uh, Landry as well. Um, obviously, Jalen Hurd and Justice uh, Hill are worth absolutely nothing right now. So I didn't get anything on that end. And, you know, this team is a team that, frankly, didn't deserve the 102. 
had some really, really bad luck. This was not a team that I was projecting to be 102, um, which I think brings up two interesting points. One, I got lucky on this trade. But two, you don't always know who's going to be the 101, 102 in a, in a given year. So these random firsts are always something that I'm willing to take on. But to some degree, they can be a little bit of a coin flip in terms of value. And in this this time, uh, the, the coin came up heads for me. Um, but I could have very easily seen this going the wrong way. I think Jarvis Landry is still a really good asset, a really stable asset. Um, and he's had a pretty strong year. So um, kind of one I feel like that uh, was a bad trade, but came up roses for me at the end That's- of the day. Actually, really good advice that I hadn't thought about including in this is because this was like a three-year-old trade. I don't even remember all the details, but I saw guys um, draft pick as extremely valuable because I just hated his team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gave up way more than I probably should have with that as kind of the lead return I was getting. I know I gave up Michael Thomas, but the the thing I really wanted was this guy's draft pick. Yeah, and it, I I was projecting it to be one hundred one. And I think it ended up being like 108 or something or 106. Yep. So it, it ended up being a, just a, a bad evaluation, just something really hard to predict and maybe not worth. Uh, I mean, you, you you probably want to weigh it in some, but you can't go all out just assuming someone's team's going to be bad because you have yep. no control over their outcomes. You can get yourself to 101 in many leagues, but you can't get anyone else there. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. Okay. Why don't you give us your uh, last one before we kind of go through this uh, double trade? Yeah, this is uh well, this is our our trade that we made with each other. Um, I gave. Oh up... no, you skipped over one. You got the Josh Jacobs in twenty twenty. Oh, yeah, I did miss that one. Sorry. I thought you wanted to save that one no, for last. I don't you know why. That one extra. I can't read. I traded. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the same league I was just talking about with Derrick Henry. Um, this is also another recent trade. I traded Josh Jacobs and uh, twenty twenty three second for Antonio Gibson and a 22 first. So I upgraded around and a year um, and I traded Jacobs for Gibson. Quite frankly, a trade I would make straight up even before the Jacob news. I'm just super high on Gibson's future and I'm kind of fading uh, Jacobs. That's why I made this trade. I guess maybe I shouldn't have included it because it's a hard one to evaluate right now because it's because it's fresh, but uh, a trade I was really fond of at the time. So maybe something worth tracking in the future. Well, yeah, it's an obvious value win here now with the Jacobs news. But I was with you at the time that I would just rather have Gibson over Jacobs. I think we both think he's fairly ordinary. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you you won big in that one for sure. Um, I'll do these two together. So my number one and two are both for the same team. And they both really fell along the same thought process, which was uh, this was a team that I had tried to go for it with. It took the uh, took second place the year before. Um, but it was stacked with older players. Um, and so I really wanted to take the standpoint of this is a team that we need to get younger, quicker. Um, and I made two moves, one that worked out well, I think, and one that didn't work out so well um, with that in mind. Uh, the first one that I feel like didn't work out so well is I sent Julio Jones, I sent Travis Kelsey, and I sent the 409 for George Kittle in the 302. You can essentially toss the picks out there. Essentially, it was Julio and Kelsey for George Kittle. Um, And frankly, from a value standpoint, then and now, it's really not too far off. I still have Kittle over Kelsey, uh, but I don't feel like that's where the market is necessarily. Um, And obviously, Kittle was hurt all this year, and this team did pretty well again. Uh, So I lost out on all of that tight end production in a tight end premium league. And frankly, I think I could sell Kelsey for just as much as I got last offseason, if not more now. 
Um, the time to get out on Julio was last year. So in just in retrospect, I think I still would have moved him if I could go back and do this all over. I just probably would have sought out a, a, a younger wide receiver that was up and coming. Um, and that would have made this sort of the optimal deal. Um, the other trade was Cooper Cup, who I think we've talked about a fair amount as being one of these older prospects. And we've talked about is Terry McLaurin kind of falling into this mold of the production's big, but he's old before you even really get the huge value spike that you're hoping to get. Um, so I wanted to move off of him. I sent him in the 209 for the 202, 203, and 305, which ended up as T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, and Adam Troutman. Uh, again, this is tight end premium, so Troutman carries a pretty high value, even with the uh, you know relatively slow season, even for tight end standards. Um, this trade, I, I I absolutely love. Obviously, Higgins and Ayuk are two of our favorite prospects from uh, this most recent class. They were going, uh, frankly, way too late in startups based on the talent, but it was partially just because the, the talent of last draft was so strong. Um, but yeah, just remember in the, in situations like with Cooper Cup. Um, he was coming off of a high-end wide receiver one season. I believe he was ranked as high as like the wide receiver four uh, in 2019. I think he fell back a little bit right at the end of the season. Um, but just a guy that I looked to target or looked to to sell in trades off of that high value because he was an older prospect. I think Terry McLaurin falls into that same bucket right now. And I'm starting to think maybe I'm more of a seller on him than uh, I initially thought or that at least I thought midway through this uh, NFL season. Yeah, that's kind of one of the fun things about doing this podcast is we kind of learn things about our preferences, conclusions we may not have come to without all the extra time spent mm-hmm. on it. I think I remember you asking me about the Julio and Kelsey for Kittle trade. Oh, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I advised you to do it. So if you don't feel great about it, I apologize for leading you astray <laughs> on that. And I led myself astray on these last two trades. I think we go in chronological order of when the trades occurred. Well, um, well, hold on, just real quick Sorry. before you start, because I think the value on these two trades kind of slid in my direction. I oh, wanted definitely. to make sure I got the caveat out there that before we talk about these trades and pretend like I've gotten the best of you, uh, you've extracted two firsts a second uh, for the equivalent of Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield pretty much from me at some point in this league. So uh, just another example that these things go back and forth all the time and uh I'll let you lead it in now, but I just wanted to say that I've made plenty of stupid trades to you, too. Yeah, unfortunately, our trades don't usually end up being the win-win variety. It's no. usually uh, the other way around. But, yeah, we've both won some and lost some. I wish our – or I hope our next trade can be a true win-win. Yeah, me too. Uh, like I said, let's go chronologically because uh, one kind of ties into the other. There's one asset that's involved in both. Yep. Um, I – preseason i think probably a month or two even before the rookie draft um you floated christian mccaffrey out there and i bit i gave up aj brown the 105 the 112 and a 2022 second for christian mccaffrey and cooper cup i thought my team was a contender just kind of missing that big piece and I uh, I went big for mccaffrey and i even gave up one of my favorite players in aj brown to to get him yeah, no, I remember this this whole afternoon. We were, I was sitting around watching. I believe it was, uh, was it combine time? I don't think this was prior to the NFL draft. I think this was still uh, pre-draft. This was sort of right at the start of the offseason. Um, and, yeah, I just really wanted to move McCaffrey off of the, the massive season that he had. Um, I put it out basically to the whole league. Um, I wanted a couple firsts, and I wanted a good young player. And, and 
I don't know that it could have turned out much better, especially in the sense that A.J. Brown is one of my favorites. Um, but at the same time, just from a process standpoint, uh, I think this did put you in a position to really go contend this year. Nobody can predict injury. Uh, Christian McCaffrey certainly looked like the player that he was the year before. Uh, I think he averaged 25 points a game in the in the three starts or whatever he got in that league. Um, I think this would have been one that could have benefited uh, both of us, whereas the next one I feel like more so uh, falls into the category of, of maybe bad process. I think this was good process on your part, Newts. It just didn't work out the way uh, we both had kind of hoped it would. Yeah, I had a team that was kind of exiting a rebuild in a big way. I was flush with assets. I had mm-hmm. acquired a lot of future first. Um, th- that I, I, I'm still fine with what where I went, like you said, the process to get McCaffrey. Even though it didn't work out, like you said, can't predict injury. I, I can justify that one. The next one was me just being dumb and really wanting Jerry Judy, basically. Yeah. Um, and the best part was uh, it was pick 105. Uh, we made this trade when... You were on the clock, basically, for this mm-hmm. pick. I had this pick, as if you remember from the last trade, it was a part of the McCaffrey deal. So I gave up a crap load just to get back to 105. <laughs> I had taken C.D. Lamb at 102. I wanted to pair him with Judy. I gave you um, a, the tw- the 202 in last year's draft, which you got Michael Pittman Jr. for. Yep. Um, I gave you two upcoming first round picks. You get 108 and 111 in this upcoming draft and Kareem Hunt, all for Jerry Judy and the last pick of the second round, which I took Isaiah Simmons and I got TJ Watt. This is super, or this is a IDP league. So I got a few defensive players, which f- funny enough are both neither on my team anymore. <laughs> I gave you TJ Watt back in another dumb trade later in the year that we don't need to get into, but I just went over the moon for Judy and um, quite frankly, no player probably was worth that many assets, that many tickets. Um, 202, just Pittman alone. You could compare him to Judy and value just that and all the other assets you got. This was a slam dunk win for you. Yeah, no. And I was the, the reason I was able to get this is because I was as over the moon with Judy as you were. Uh, so we were both wrong in that avenue and probably both why we're saying that we really, really want Judy. I was essentially asking for an overpay because I loved Jerry Judy that much, um, you know, and, and certainly you, you, you know, you paid the price or whatever. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I have a hard time with this one because I actually liked the idea of just having C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy paired together for the next uh, X number of years. It had been four or five, depending upon how you structured the contracts. Um but you're right. It was the process was flawed in the sense that this was something uh, that you you kind of wanted. This was a luxury move as opposed to a move that that was optimal or that necessitated right. uh, you know winning or whatever. So um, certainly you know this one's a, this one's an L for you. But you know don't don't feel too bad. Like I said, we all we all screw them up every once. Well, in a while. and what I learned is I. You, you got to think about things a little less emotionally. I loved Jerry Judy, but I didn't need to go out and do this and just spend that much for one guy. There are plenty of players in this league that are super awesome. And to just go out and spend that amount of assets on a player that I really wanted on my team, that's fine. But I I, I just, something I won't do again. And that's part of the reason why I've added more and more leagues is because these types of players that I want shares of, if I play in more leagues, I'm going to at least get them somewhere. So I don't feel the need to panic overpay for a guy that I just frankly wanted on my team. So I I think this is a kind of the 
the biggest trade that I learned from something that I can't imagine myself doing something similar again. Well, and what's kind of funny when I was thinking back to this trade, I remember when you texted me like, what do you want for 105 when I was on the clock? Um, and I remember asking you, because you have Daryl Henderson in this league, and going, mm-hmm. oh, I'm assuming you want Cam Akers here. And, you know, because I was pretty ready to, to talk trade because I, I really didn't want any of these running backs that were sitting there um, at the time. I really, the, the pick, frankly, was DeAndre Swift. Um, but at the time, I was willing to move back and, and potentially take one of these guys a little bit later. Um, and then you told me you were going for Jerry Judy. And I was like, man, I, I feel like I'm right on right on point for who I want here. It actually, like, almost tricked my mind into what the value was. And I think I asked for maybe more. Uh, than the pick was worth at the time. Uh, but that's, I guess, neither here nor there. In terms of Isaiah Simmons and TJ Watt, and in, in an IDP league like this, you know, TJ obviously was one of the, the league leaders in terms of sacks and, and points just in an IDP sense. Um, and Isaiah Simmons is a guy that I think will work out long term. So um, I don't know. I feel like to some degree it helped your starting lineup, but obviously it, it did not work out long term. No, and uh, I guess the bright side is I still have Jerry Judy on my team, a guy I still really like. Just got to, you know, at this point going forward on my team, I just got to take the fact that I overpaid for him out of my mind and just enjoy whatever production he can provide for me. Yep, absolutely. Uh, With that, I think that's uh, pretty much all we got for the show today. Um, In uh, Real quick, our Twitter handles are I'm at Dynasty Oasis. Newts, you are at Nasty Newts, N-E-U-T-Z. Um, you can find the show on any of the, uh, major podcasting, uh, platforms. Uh, please subscribe, please leave a five-star rating and review. Um, and you got a happy birthday for us today, Newts? Yeah. Mr. 2000, uh, gave himself a pretty big birthday present yesterday, Derek Henry's birthday. So he had a pretty good weekend. Happy birthday, Derek Henry, after we've told everybody to sell you three or four times in the last couple of weeks. Um, no, uh, legitimately, he's he's awesome. He's been so much fun to watch. It's almost unfair what he does. He just, every time somebody hits him, even if he doesn't break the tackle, he falls forward for five more yards. So um, yeah, he's awesome. He's an exceptional player. Uh, it's fun to watch him, and we just need to appreciate it while it's going this good. Um, that's the show for us this week. Please join us again on what will be Friday morning. Uh, we'll have another pod out for you, and we're going to be kind of previewing some of the uh, the playoff matchups as well as uh, what, what do we say we we're going to do? Oh, yeah, rankings uh, previews or rankings uh, end of the season, um, kind of where we have players, where we differ on players, um, and what you can possibly learn from that. So that will be the show on Thursday. Uh, you got anything else before we hit uh, close here, Newts? Uh, just to expand on the rankings thing, it's uh, going to be where we differ, me and you, and also kind of where we may differ from the Good community. Point. We yep. don't want to just read you our rankings. We kind of want to find the discussion points built into our rankings. So uh, kind of justify where we're way different or, you know, that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, that's really all I got. Just enjoy your week. Enjoy the playoffs. Uh, looking forward to it. Right on. We'll see you on Friday. <laughs>